Let's begin, shall we? There's a picture going Thank you for that. We have Greg Upham in California with his wife. That's good. How cool is that? His wife's birthday, right? It is. It's it is the wife's birthday weekend or getaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Napa. Uh, thing. 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 Yeah. <laughs> so, I think we should, you know, give him a shout out. Hello, hey, yeah, like bring back Juan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no doubt. Have and we then, restricted uh, the webcam to men only? I don't know how to uh, restrict the camera to biometrics. Biometrics. What's possible? Chromosome. Chromosome filters. Yeah. DNA thing there. So, and we've also got Brock. Brock said he can't make it tonight. He's on the west coast. What? Did he drive with his brother? Did he drive with his brother? Out to uh I don't know. Riding it altitude. Yeah, I don't think so. Oh you're good. You're perfect. That's pretty huge for a reason. Three people have told him he's good, he's perfect. Just today. Yeah, I like that. See what happens when you believe in Yeshua? That's right, there it is. Okay. you and I are what was that? Judah, Judah. Judah. Judah will be here shortly. Joshua, is Joshua coming? Joshua's running just a bit behind because of the traffic and the timing and all of that. Uh, Rick is also running behind. Oh, there he is. Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah, which we're going to do tonight. Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, Know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. 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 Okay, so we've got three topics I want to go through tonight. And I'm betting Joshua. No. No? Oh, cool. Dope! Whoa! The Kobmeister. There you go. Don't be cheesy. That's my Brother. favorite name. The Kobmeister. Oh, There's <laughs> a Scotsman tonight. Yeah, sir. Sir. Yeah. Sir. Never wear a kilt when it's Kobe below Kobe freezing. Paul <laughs> 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 That increases testosterone. Okay. So our first, uh, first question for tonight is uh, it's regarding communities. And, you know, we've got... We've got a, a bunch of folks listening, and a big shout-out here to Adam, uh, who is uh, in Ohio, and uh, has prompted at least one of these questions tonight. So, you're living someplace, and Bellator is not there. What do you do? So you've got some choices. You look around, and... We've got, uh, let's say for sake of argument, we've got a, a Karite community. We've got one that is uh, Hebrew roots based and is leaning towards the Karites. And we've got an Orthodox community of uh, Jewish people who really don't want to have anything to do with Messiah Yeshua. What kind of Karite? Yeah. Okay, so... Let, let's let's flush this out. What what would be what would you do? Okay, first off, and then 
I'm more concerned about what counsel you would give. And then you got a generic counsel. What's a carrot? What's a carrot? Define terms. Term definition. Okay. What's a carrot? What do you mean by carrot? Not a carrot. Well, I'm not a carrot. Google. <laughs> I'm not. By a carrot, I would define it the same as uh, Saadia Gaon in 900 of the Common Era uh, to be one who follows the precepts that teach that the rabbis have no authority. There is no oral Torah that has been passed down from Moshe Rabbeinu down through the men of the Great Assembly and down through today. So basically, I want to express nothing but a scriptural desire, but I'm the one who determines if it's scriptural. Sola scriptura in a Jewish way. Oh. Okay, let's try. Yeah, I could work with that. So I think that it's extraordinarily dangerous to any community to have someone walking in and be of the mindset that they're the bee's knees and they determine truth on their own, in their own mind. Each man doing what's right in his own eyes reminds me of something. Reformation. Uh, the book of, book of Judges. Yeah, the Reformation. The yeah. book of Judges <laughs> and the <laughs> Reformation. That's yeah. a straw man. Okay. So, how would you define a carrot? No, I mean, that's fine. You can't use that scripture. I can't. You could use that on, on anything. I just did. You just you throw it all around all the time. I just did right now. <laughs> to discredit people. Do you disagree that the carrot is doing what's right in his own eyes? You believe I'm just you're asking doing you, what is right? I'm just asking you if you believe that the carrot, as a whole, carrots do what's right in their own eyes. No. How they, many no. carrots are there? They think exactly what you think. That they're There's doing what's ten. right in the Lord's eyes. Okay. It is curious that there was a recent uh, uh, survey done of Jews in Israel who, at, who were asked, Orthodox and, and uh, Iranian and whatnot, and asked, um, what do you think of the Karaites? They said, what? 87% had never heard of them. had no idea what they were. They're so minuscule. We shouldn't waste time. We shouldn't either waste time. But why are Karaites important for us to recognize? Because Messianics tend to be drawn towards a Karaite perspective because most Messianics come from a Protestant background. Which means that they are, by definition, rebelling to a certain extent against the way they've been brought up and saying that the, the, the authorities out there have been lying to me. This happens to Catholics as well. So... I want to really dig in on the scriptures. I want to be true. And that's where the Karaites come from. That's why the Hebrew Roots Movement and the Karaites are normally joined at the hip. So what would be some example of Karaites? Uh, Michael Rood. Nehemiah Gordon. Name dropping. Uh, Michael Rood is, uh, is a Gentile. And he has uh, he's a, he's a fairly uh, sizable following. And his whole thing is, don't listen to the church, because the church has lied to you. You know, by the way, the Jewish leadership, we would call that the rabbis, are just as bad as them. They've come up with their own ways, and they're not the ways of God, so we want to focus just on the scripture. That's Nehemiah Gordon. The other side of the coin would be, I mean, that was Michael Rood, the other side of the coin, on a Jewish perspective, is a man who 
whose father is an Orthodox rabbi, whose grandfather is an Orthodox rabbi, and whose great-grandfather is an Orthodox rabbi serving today. And he's a carrot. And he believes and mocks his parents. I would say that Karaitism is very appealing, especially if you if you like to feel right. Okay. Because it doesn't matter what happens. If people blow you off or want anything to do with you, doesn't matter. Obviously, they're not right. I'm right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very appealing because you know if you get pushed out of one group to another, or if you keep finding yourself, you know, there's no one like me. There's a reason why. Because it could be. I'm I've been given the truth. It's either that or personal hygiene. Sure. So, (laughs) this is not about carites. This is about what counsel do you give somebody, and I have at least two, if not three men, who I would like to help that are either in the middle of absolutely nowhere. There's no messianic presence whatsoever. And another one is very close to what appears to be and projects itself as a Karite community. So Gregory, good to see you by the way. Um, would you would you counsel a believer to avoid community and stay away from a Karite based group? Or would you counsel him to go and be a stand for balance and reason and at least get some fellowship? How would you how would you portray that? Or are you going to beg off and say, well, like, I, I can't give the same counsel to everyone. It would depend on the strength of the faith of the man. Well, I've, I've once heard it said that a man is the average of the people he hangs out with. Ooh. So I Somebody would write that down against being involved in a community like that. Because it would... I mean, it's just as bad as joining a community that that doesn't do the right thing in any case. Maybe mm-hmm. a community that is totally secular or something like yeah. that. Then it's like you're, you're just going to get influenced by them, even if you think you have some resolve at sure. first. So I would not recommend doing that. But the what what to follow up with is probably the, the more difficult question or answer to right. if not on. then if not then, right. then so, so let me see if I can summarize for you. being alone isn't right either. right so so to summarize if I understand where you're coming from there's danger here I couldn't counsel you to do that regardless of how strong you think you are right now I would counsel you to avoid that and perhaps look for online communities watching stuff online on videos listening to stuff and so forth um, I think that that's probably where I'm leaning right now, to be to be perfectly frank. But I also think it would be pretty shallow, a shallow walk, if all you've got is videos of the folks that you're trying to be with. Um, but I can't disagree with you, Joshua. I would say that um, I would advise against the carrot community because I feel like the, the issues that we have with the carrot community versus um, the Bible or what. What tradition has done um, is is the community issues. It is the holidays when they are. Good for you. It is how you do. What's so, the point? so 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 it's not community. Yeah, you're so, simply hanging out with people who can teach. That's a great. You might as well go to church. Yeah, that's a great. Elevation that's a great better. point. If you're if you're looking for community, 
the Karite community would be the worst to choose because, if anything, they may come up with their own halakha, but it would be probably outside my, that of anyone else. My recommendation would be, um, if possible, I would reach out probably to um, the Jewish community, um, probably leaning more in the conservative direction because Orthodox sometimes have issues with people and you might under, be under a lot of yeah. pressure to convert, which might not be a healthy thing. Sure. And then I would strongly recommend someone who's in a Jewish community but doesn't have a Messianic fellowship to have a good mentor that they have weekly, bi-weekly sure, conversations Sure, whether it's calls, with, phones, whatever. Call, phone, email. And then get teaching you can, when you can, online. Okay. But I do believe that physical community is important. You bet. So do I. Good. All right, so I'm going to go back to you and ask you, based on what Joshua said... Would you counsel away from Karite? I think yes. And if there's nothing else, to actually go towards the conservative Jewish communities? Or would you say that that might be as dangerous as we've seen folks fall away from Yeshua, our Messiah, as they've been drawn into the loving arms of Chabad? Well, I think we read in the same article about the, the dangers of, of basically you know, heresy, yeah. forsaking the faith. And yeah, I probably wouldn't recommend that. I mean, maybe as like a, a, a last resort, but my question was actually going to be, because I've been thinking about this too, I do feel like there are lots of people this way that feel sort of on an island wherever they live, but the Jewish perspective seems to be, you move for community. That's, that's what dictates where you move, not necessarily a job. And would you, would you follow the same wisdom in regard to what we're discussing? looking for first a messianic community, one that has sound teaching and, and solid family structure within the community, and then counsel them to do everything possible to move? Yeah. Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to table that for a minute so that we can talk about um, this a little bit more. Um, but I will give you my, my take on it right now. I think there's a big difference between moving to Poughkeepsie because your brother lives there versus moving to Poughkeepsie because there's some guy who acts like your brother living there. It's a big difference. And I think that's the biggest hurdle we have as Gentiles, joining ourselves to the Jewish community. The Jewish community does not want to have anything to do with us yet. And I, I think that Jews move for community because when a Jew shows up, and says, I'm a Jew. He's mishpacha. He's family. He's going to be accepted. And when you show up in a Jewish community, that's not going to be the case. And if you show up in a Messianic community, because we are not family, we just act like family, unfortunately, you may just have moved for no reason. So that's my personal my personal bias. Rick? I think part of the, part of the issue is the, the use of the word community and it means different things to different people the the people who come from a Protestant or evangelical background even a Catholic background are going to come from uh, the notion that community equals somehow church or churchish type of structure right right most messianics recognize that you don't have to have the structure but they still have that same idea number one is is there good teaching you know number one is there good fellowship and you know those are those are those are 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 churchy things. Those are not those are not the 
the things that make up a community as a biblical community Amen. defined in the Torah. The Torah defines a community as a family or families. And the family interacts in different ways. Not everybody thinks the same. That's right. Uh, not everybody even does the same. But I tell you what, the people that don't do the same, they're quickly brought into line. <laughs> and, and not only that, but you are helping me raise my son. The pr exactly. And the problem with the Karaites is maybe wonderful people. That's not the issue. The issue is how are they part of a community? Now, they may have a churchy community, good fellowship or whatever else, but the very nature of community means that we do family things in a family way. Right. And the family always passes on traditions. I'm sorry, every family has traditions. And they're making new traditions, all fine and well, maybe three generations now that we can call the Karaite tradition a family tradition, but right now it's not. That's right. And, and never has been down through it, the... Well, it hasn't. And we, we can say that, but you want to argue, okay, you can start something new. Go ahead. But the point is, we, we want family traditions. And by family traditions, it means we're going to have the same holidays, you know? If, if an American doesn't celebrate Thanksgiving, something's weird. Amen. Okay? So, in the, same, in the same regard, if everybody doesn't celebrate Sukkot on the same day, that's weird, that's not family. That's right. I like it. Yes, Joshua. Another follow-up um, is there's one more option we haven't raised, and that's doing exactly what, what you did. That's telling the, the world, the Internet... I'm here. If anyone's even remotely close to me, you can meet in my house. And that's something that, like... My rule's my house. <laughs> right. But a year ago, or two years ago, when I was looking for a job and hadn't um, married your daughter yet, uh, and we were looking all, literally all over the country, I applied to a newspaper in Wyoming um, that I... Baruch uh, Hashem, that didn't work out. But anyway, the, uh, <laughs> your father and I are both saying that. Yeah. But the point, is, the point that I'm trying to get at is that um, in that moment, we asked that question. What would we do? Right. And I think our default was we would probably try to start something ourselves. If there was no one there, or if we tried for a little while and there really what no one picked up on us, okay, then we would look for what's available. And depending on, who knows, maybe you end up running into groups of people in other settings and find out, okay, they're not quite where I'm at, but we could do a Bible study together, sure. or whatever the yeah. case might be. It is certainly, uh, thank you, that's a good comment. Um, it's certainly easier to do that when you've got five children than if you're a guy sitting by himself on right. his couch, right? Yeah. So the reality I, is, starting on your own, you may need even one more person just so you've got somebody. Well, that's true. I wasn't ahead was of that. Was, was there. Yeah. I was just, my comment was going to be within the context of what Mr. Sperlett just said, how do you start a family just out of the blue? Exactly. You have to have a family to you begin do. with. Okay. Although I would encourage. Be careful how I say this. Um, I would I would quote Genesis and say it is not good for a man to be alone. Amen. It's so not always a choice. It's not always a choice, mm -hmm. and I want to make it clear that that's not a sin if that's the case that it, one finds oneself in that position. Um, and again, I mean the, the online opportunities today are far greater than they have ever been, I mean, and I it may be just a season, and then all of a sudden you find that there's another guy who's been doing the same thing as you. Right, exactly. I mean, I, I was 28 when I got married, so I can't really encourage people, you know, to, you got to move faster or whatever else. I, I was well enough down the line, I suppose. But um, all I'm saying is that um, if you are alone, uh, I would encourage looking online for trying to create a community. 
But then if you, in addition to that, if you really are alone and there's no community and you want to get married, that may require some extensive effort, potentially. Not necessarily moving. It may simply require, hey, I heard about this conference that, you know, um, sure. Tim Hague's group's doing in Washington. Sure. That's my entire vacation for this year. But I'm going because I want to have some level of community and possibly meet a spouse or whatever. Sure. Some, some content. Good. All right. You guys who haven't said anything. Comments? Um, sir? He said um, that it's not good to be alone. Well, if you're Actually, alone, God said that, but he quoted well, him. Yeah, he quoted him on that. Um, it's not good to be alone, but if you're a follower of God, you're never alone. True. Um, but so I don't think have to worry about But that. I don't think that's what God meant in Genesis, nor was it what he meant. It's a physical thing. It's not good for man to be physically alone. Not necessarily spiritually. But you're right. You're right. Comments. I was curious why the going to a uh, or already existing Jewish community was not necessarily a higher up on the list pick. I, 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 I didn't address that actually. I put that very high on the list. Um, I can't. Someone said last resort. I did. Why would that be a last resort? Because like what my brother-in-law was just saying, you, you're not, we're not actually Jewish, like physically, so most of the time you get those questions about like, oh, what, you know, are you ethnically Jewish? You know, what's your last name? That kind of thing. So you're already sort of on the fringe. Suspect? Yeah. And then Dubious. just the the lack of, of fellowship with people that acknowledge Messiah is potentially dangerous the longer you're involved with that, without any, any input of, of people of like mind. But it's not our whole ideology here that we have joined them. Nobody's arguing that. I know that. Um, but at the same time, it can seem like we act like it. Uh, if, we, if we treat them as a last resort, though. I would treat them as a last resort for community only because they put themselves as a last resort for community. It's not my I think choice. Based on every guy I see here, I probably spend more time in the Orthodox community than anyone else. Right. And I can tell you that the welcome is less than robust, but very cordial. And if I'm willing to discuss conversion mm -hmm. or abrogating my faith in Messiah Yeshua, I would be more accepted than I am now. That's not to say that they're not cordial. That's not to say that they won't let me pray with them. But to me, that's not the best for community. If I can find somebody who believes in Messiah Yeshua, I would, I would much rather we pray together than to go someplace where we can't pray together. I would definitely put it higher on the list than the Karaite one. Last on the list, I think, is um, a bit of a misnomer. If my list excludes Karaites and excludes... Yeah, I, it would exclude I'm, I'm a, a Protestant church because, again, our faith is shockingly different. Just as bad, yeah. Then, then last in the list means that's like third. It's not like, like last in the list, like, boy, I will go to elevation before I go to a shul. I, I agree with you 100%. Not, not disagreeing in any way. So I, I wouldn't put it last. I just wouldn't put it at the top. Uh, well, I mean, I can just tell you what our experience is when we're not here. When we're, when we're in Israel... We participate in both Orthodox and conservative worship experiences and fellowship. And 
we don't look for messianic we've been to messianic and we enjoy the messianic thing even observe a messianic but we tend to to usually spend our time with conservative or orthodox and i will tell you that when i'm traveling i do exactly the same thing but that's my, different my brother is a perfect example of this my brother has prayed with minions all around the world and 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 they're either orthodox or conservative uh even even a lot of converts uh but he doesn't go trying to find, uh, you know, uh, messianic groups. Yeah, but but again, I'm I'm not talking about praying. We're talking about community. We're talking about day right. to day, in and out. But this is yeah, a very interesting travel. point because, you know, talk about the solas, you know, sola Christi, for example, you know, the idea of salvation, the idea of the Great Commission, and one would imagine that you'd have a greater commonality with a messianic group than with the Jewish group that doesn't believe in Yeshua. So I'm very curious why you don't feel that confluence you know, with me, the messianic. Let me, if, let me see if I can help on that. Sure. When I'm traveling, the word messianic doesn't mean much of anything <laughs> when, when, I'm, sure. when I'm looking for stuff. Because there's no commonality. There's no consistency across the board. For example, I'm sitting on a bus in Jerusalem and I'm on a tour with my wife next to me. And the guy at the front of the bus says, how many of you are in a messianic community? We look around, and most of the hands go up. They get around to us, our hands did not go up. And the, the question was, isn't there a messianic synagogue of some type in your town? And I said, yes, there is one that builds itself as a messianic synagogue. But none of the people there keep the Torah. Interesting. And everybody on the bus gasped. <gasps> like, why would they call themselves messianic? <laughs> but you know why? Because it's their understanding, following Paul, that to follow the, the rules of the Torah is actually an abrogation of faith. There's a misunderstanding of what Paul is saying. Of course, of course. So that's that's the basic reason. Yeah, right. We understand. We understand. We understand, that, we understand the logics, and that's and as, as to your as to your point. Uh, there's a difference between fellowship at, uh, fellowship as you'll find. And fellowship, I'd be all for if I'm traveling. That's right. But if you're if you're if you're in a community, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, emphasis. It seems. From a Gentile perspective, that a community is people that are, and we've used that phrase several times here, like mind, like mind. Come on, nobody's got my mind. Uh, no one thinks like me. And thank I don't God know for that. Like me. So the point is, how does community get along? Community gets along because we do the same things. That's right. And if you consider that, then you consider that the notion that someone does or doesn't believe in Yeshua is immaterial if they act the same. Interesting. Don't they act the same? Well, I, I would think that that would be the most important thing, whether well, someone accepts no, no, Yeshua or not. No, no, no. But it's, in, it's an thinking, important yes. thing. The most important thing. It is, no, it no, is no, an we important agree. thing. But, but is, that how we, is that how we relate? But he, he comes we? into I my house. I would think, yeah. Right? I would, yeah. He comes into my house, and we stand next to each other, and we pray. And we are doing exactly the same thing. Now, in his case, it's kind of odd. Because we're not just doing the same thing because we happen to do the same thing. We're doing the same thing because he taught me to pray. Now, we're praying together and we look the same. Do we think the same? 
Well, you see, here's the thing. There's and a so difference we do between... for a moment, and that's the point. Yeah. Yes. But you see, thinking is a process, but I'm talking about the culminating result, the, the raison d'etre for our very being, which is believing that Yeshua is the Mashiach. When we say, Ani mamin ve'emuna shalema ve'aviyas ha-Mashiach, that's him. We don't so, disagree. So that's... I, See, I think the other but things are important. Said, what, what you just said is what is what is what the altar Rebbe said as well. Yeah, those are but, the but words that he used. That, for me, that's the intrinsic nature of community. The other things are nice, but that's more important than anything. That's. I would say that that's the glue that holds it together. Yes, but I would also say that whether or not you think that the tribulation is going to occur in four years versus. He thinks nine years. Doesn't matter. He thinks, exactly. But we Doesn't believe matter. that he, he's coming back. The, that's the important thing. And we all we're all we're all believing that that's to us. That's what makes messianic. But I just want to share with you, my background is Jewish on both sides of my family. I, I mentioned to um, Joe rabbis on both sides all the way back, and there's a line that is considered you know prestigious or royalty. But for me, it means nothing. The important thing is is what I do and the faith that I have. And what to me is very interesting, and it's a point that you made, they consider yourselves part of the vine that's adhering to the branch. See, you're ready, but as it says in the Torah, there's a sense of blindness. And everything that you're doing is creating a, a process where that blindness will come down. But that's, your, that's the point. We're doing the Torah. Yes. So but, if we find a messianic community that calls itself messianic on the door, and we walk in, and they're inviting us to a pork barbecue, or after the prayer service on Shabbat morning, they want to go out to lunch, there's a problem. There is, but do, do you see, no, it's actually, two fronts. I, actually, I disagree. I don't think that does motivate. But we that, have two that, fronts. The motivation is not in order to somehow provide a process for, for a group to not be blind anymore. That has, that's not my motivation. No, no, but, I, but, I, but it doesn't matter because that's what's happening. That's the whole reason. That's all fine and well, but that's God's work. That's not my work. But, but my motivation is not evangelical in a sense. But whether it is or not, we're still part of the Great Commission. Yeah. You so have to tell me what the Great Commission is. The Great Commission is spreading the word of Yeshua, spreading right. the word of salvation, spreading but, the word of forgiveness of sins by believing but, that he died but that's not the primary reason for community I think that's everything without that there's nothing I don't well, I think that the primary reason for community is for, for me to help you in your walk but it's now, the we, walk to Yeshua though that's everything Well, but no, 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 let me make sure I'm, I'm, we're clear, yeah. you and I are clear um, when he moved into his house the community came and helped him move into his house when he had a baby, the community came over and celebrated with him that he had a baby. These are community events. These are community things. These are family-based. To me, they have nothing to do with exhort, uh, uh, evangelism, but rather exhortation. But now, we could have a community event that has us go out and evangelize, but we tend, as a community, to do that more individually rather than as a community. So the fact that we are so individual mandate, not a community. And let Correct. Me, and let me throw out that um, if you think about community, I I have um, well, in particular, my wife has had an opportunity to spend time at a Shabbat table with an Orthodox rabbi, 
um, in Israel. That was the not only the, the, the essentially the only community in a sense that I can't really think of a better way to spend a Friday night in Israel. I mean, that's mm-hmm. incredible. The opportunity there for and their dialogue, especially ironically enough, this Orthodox rabbi actually asked her about Yeshua. He was curious to talk about it. That wasn't my wife's intention necessarily. It came up. Um, but the point that I'm trying to make is that um, that was a experience, a, a powerful experience, an encouraging experience, a learning experience, a growing experience, um, whether or not Yeshua came up. And I think like when you look at um, the, the, the disciples in the first century, there were no, at least out at first, messianic synagogues. That didn't exist. There were synagogues. And the believers in Yeshua mingled with the non-believers in Yeshua because they both kept Shabbat and they both read from the their Torah. Fa- and their family. And their, well, and, and even the and Gentiles, when the Gentiles were coming in, it was still the same thing. They were still keeping the same practice. It was irrelevant. The only time that we saw the, the believers really remove themselves at first, in the first century, I and mean, later on it was not this way, but in the first century, really the only time they really removed themselves is when they were kicked out. When, right. when so they, they didn't remove themselves. When they, they were, were removed. When they were, they were removed. And, and look at, I mean, Paul's example is so much of that. He almost always goes to the synagogue first, um, right. and regardless of what their position was. And he didn't leave, usually, until they made him. Right. So the, I guess the thing that I would say is that um, the issue of Yeshua is, is the most important belief. But when you're talking community, practice is really almost more important on the community segment, not necessarily beliefs. Because if you believe that it's extremely important to, uh, well, I know you believe it's extremely important to be armed at all times, okay? You know, if I was a peacenik who thought that guns were from the devil, we would not get along on that issue. Haplophobia. But actually, I would still come over to his house to pray with him. But wait, wait. Would actually, okay you would get along. You would get along fine. And this is the point. This is my point. Is you would get along fine as long as each of you respected the other's belief, ab- absolute right to think whatever they want. That's right. Well, as long as we do the same thing, I don't care. What no, you think. But even even beyond that, even if you felt mm-hmm. like you know, not to push it too hard, but for the first couple times we met. You had a good talking to. If I felt comfortable coming back after that, and the subject kind of got dropped, that that wouldn't change the community. That's what I'm trying to say. Precisely. Is that like even if we don't have a well, you know, let bygones be bygones approach on the issue of Yeshua, maybe that's dangerous. Even if you don't have that, even if you say, yeah, we disagree, and every now and again we're going to disagree, that's still okay Amen. in my mind because again, it's more about the overall practice and support. I chose where I live because it is close to this man over here. Because I recognize that being able to spend time with him on a moment's notice if he needs help or if I need help or because I want to spend a Shabbat afternoon with him out of the blue just for fun. Or Friday morning shakri prayer before work. Or zombie apocalypse. Or whatever the case may be. That is what makes An extra shooter in the window. Now, the fact that... He also believes in Yeshua, enhances that community, but it's not the only thing that makes the community possible. And I would suggest that if he didn't believe in Yeshua, he couldn't spend much time with you without constantly hearing about him. Gregor. This is the last count. This okay. is only the first of three. Well, yeah. Oh, man. Just first two. Of, man. First I of thought two. this was it. This all, like the whole, everything that has just been said kind of 
got kicked off from talking about somebody that's looking for yes. a community. Yes. And I think the perspective that's been given has been, I already have a home-based community, how do I interact with Orthodox Jews? Right. Which is different, because yes. the uh, reason we're not in Temple Israel right now, or, or having classes, or going there or every single Shabbat, not just half of them, which I think that is ideal, what Taylor does. It's like you have... Your, your home base where, yes, practice is, is the same on both sides, but he interacts more often with fellow believers in Yeshua, but then also participates in prayer services on the off Shabbat, which is perfect, because then you are getting involved with the Jewish community because yes. of how important that is. But um, just like the, the, the one thing that you could tell somebody who's looking for a community, first and foremost, I, I think that's back to where, what we were saying before I, I just don't know if the conservative synagogue is the first choice there right I agree good alright slide two slide two yes thank you actually that was slide. just the intro That's slide right. one slide, slide zero so just show of hands how many of you, after climbing up that high, would actually go out there and sit there with your legs dangling like that? How many of you would do that? How alone am I? I'd be, yeah. I'd be scared to death, but Me I'd do too. it just I'm because scared. I was scared. Oh! <laughs> okay, this is great. what Simba felt like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious about your, your counsel to Orthodox Jews. This is a picture of the, uh, Stay away from the, the rabbi in New York City who has now been sentenced to 103 years in prison for child abuse. Whoops. Child abuse? There are bad apples everywhere. You know, there are. There are. Like legitimate? Can I get like a quick description of what an Orthodox Jew is? Yes. Who wants to give a quick description of what an Orthodox Jew is? Orthodox Jew? Well, go ahead. You're the expert. <laughs> <laughs> Jewish homage. Now I really have to be accurate. So, <laughs> of the strands of Judaism that came from... That have always been. Uh, Adam. <laughs> and, uh, so they, they would say, okay, we, we believe that M Moses was given the Torah at Mount Sinai in, in Exodus. Along with that, he was given the oral Torah to help understand the Torah, which has been passed down from Moses to Joshua, to the elders, so on and so forth, still existing today. You can read it today. And they would be the most, not strict, but... Careful. Careful is a good word to keep the traditions of Moses that was passed down. And so you have the most careful on one side, and the spectrum keeps going to conservative, They'll kind of they'll blend a little bit of practices, a little bit more modern, and then reform Judaism is on the opposite side of the spectrum. Still Jews, barely, um, but they would be a lot more lenient in their practice. So, so we so we have as from a Gentile perspective. So he would be on if you're looking here, and the reform guy who's just wishy-washy is right here. The Orthodox guy would be on the right side, the very careful conservative. Side. So as, as Gentiles, I normally tell people that we see and recognize normally four categories of Judaism, generically. The one end is the Orthodox, and you can fall off that end 
Hasidic, of, of what is right. called Hasid, ultra-Orthodox. Haredi, you know, and so forth is beyond, right? And then the Orthodox, and then the conservative, and the conservative would look like um, me. We're going to keep... You're probably a little more observant than the average conservative. Normally, yeah. And then the Reformed, which uh, would have female rabbis and things that the conservative or Orthodox would not allow. And then... So the fourth one would be non-religious. So liberal that there's just no practice whatsoever. But they might still end up showing up at a synagogue for Passover. Based just like Christians who yeah, show up at Easter and Christmas. Easter Christians. No question. All right, so the question here is, what, would, what do you say to Orthodox Jews in America today? Because we had an Orthodox, a modern Orthodox rabbi, two of them, came from Israel on a tour through America, and they stopped here to speak to us, and they made it clear their toughest audience is not Messianics and is not Christians. Their toughest audience is Orthodox Jews. Why? They are comfortable here. They're very comfortable here. And they don't want to make Aliyah. So what happened... After King David, Solomon, the split, the prophets are going, stop, 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 stop. you got to get it done. Crash, exile. Crash and burn. we got exile. Now we're in Babylon. Diaspora. Yeah. And then we got permission to come back. Well, but only a handful came back. How many came back? 43,000. A small percentage. Isn't it exactly the same way now? In 1948, Israel became a nation again. A very small percentage. Has gone mm-hmm. back. Yeah, there's more in New York City than there is in Israel. So, actually, well, Israel has, in 2008, has switched. It did. Oh, Israel, but it's really close. Yeah, so, so, yeah. so and Chicago, you know, and Philadelphia. Right? So, what, what would be your counsel? If, if you caught a, an Orthodox Jew's ear and could chat with him, and he would actually consider your counsel? What would you counsel the Orthodox Jew? Would you tell him that he should make Aliyah? Would you tell him that he should spend more time uh, investing in Messianics? <laughs> I think that's what yeah, thing to say. That's what I've said to him. Or would you tell him that uh, that you're encouraged by the fact that they're here spreading the word of Pharisaism? Rabbi Jeremy Gumpel really just blew it out of the water with his cool letter to Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who has recently chosen and to move. It was so well to America. Oh, it was it was perfect. It For was those perfect. of you who don't know, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs was chief rabbi. Of Lord England. Sachs, Lord Chief Rabbi Jonathan <laughs> Sachs was uh, was the uh, chief rabbi in, in the United Kingdom, and he just retired, and everybody expected that he would just move to Israel, yeah. and he moved here. He moved to New York. Yes, and and Rabbi that. Jeremy Kumpel had a very gracious but four page heartfelt, zealous letter to him about his decision in hopes that he would come to Israel because the Jewish people have a mission in this world. It's, and it's a really important one. And their mission is better served in the land of Israel, and specifically Jerusalem. So. I am on his side when it comes to advice to an Orthodox Jew. Making Aliyah. Making Aliyah is extremely important. And certainly Israel needs some religious direction that's not overzealous. Mm-hmm. Colby. I was just going to 
the first thing I thought of was also I just listened to Miss Rabbi Gimpel. Mm-hmm. Right? His teaching here is like a few months, years back, but he was kind of throwing in a little few side things about why aren't you in Israel or it's nicer in New York than here, you know all this. So if I were to walk to an Orthodox Jew, you know, I'd first be extremely thankful, and then I would just probably have like a small conversation, like what are you doing here? And then maybe we go back together because I'm trying to get there too. But I'm glad you're here because you're obviously here for a purpose. Sponsor I'm really me. Glad Let's we go. Me. Take me home. <laughs> you're obviously here for a reason, so maybe we could try to get back together and just try to like team up. So um, your focus would still be towards Aliyah. I mean, I'm not going to call an Orthodox Jew to Aliyah. I'm going to be thankful that he's here. Sure. But if he's taking a plane ride back, hopefully I can okay. grab on. That was actually my comment. I was like, let's yeah. let's let's go again. I, I think I am I would be highly cautious, I think, to bring up anything that I would tell in order to just asking you if you had the I opportunity. Think, I think the question to me would be counsel. if they asked me right. my opinion of something, then I would feel for comfortable sharing. In that case, I would definitely encourage an, an Orthodox Jew to move to Israel because to be honest with you, if you know something really freaky turned up and somehow I was able to make Aliyah, I would start the process. I wouldn't necessarily move tomorrow, but I would at least start you know, looking for work. I would try it. I would begin the steps, however many there may needed to be, but I would make sure that I was working on it. Not just like, oh yeah, I'll do that when all the stars align, but let's make those stars align. Um, in the case of... Uh, in the case of, um, like, but I mean, that would be true. But again, it depends on what the topics. Aliyah came up, I would discuss that. If Yeshua came up, I would discuss that. Again, if you've got the opportunity to give counsel, Joshua, what would the counsel be? Well, I mean, I I think it's irrelevant, not irrelevant. I don't see a whole lot of point in discussing Orthodox Judaism's relationship with Messianics. As if I had, like, if someone said, "I've got five minutes. Tell me what you think I should do right now," in general. Then yeah, I think that Yeshua and Aliyah would be the two. I don't think that anything else is worth that much time. Okay. Anybody else? Keep the stats. Keep the forest Did you have this picture up there for a reason? Were we gonna talk about that issue? Um I just think it's um, pretty obvious that it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing, and I find it hard to believe that that could happen if there was more oversight. Actually, it's it's true in the land of Israel as well. It's very common. I would say that the, well, very common is not right. No, I say that the, there are bad eggs. There are bad eggs everywhere. And I think are. that those things do happen. Always are. Um, interestingly enough, in the case of um, I mean, things like that get highlighted because of the person's position. It's the same as when a, a Christian pastor gets caught in infidelity or, you know, embezzling money. I mean, we had a guy or just up the road from here who walked away with incredible amounts of money, went to jail for it. That's not my point and, here. You know, whatever. My point here is... That guy was a Christian, by the way. That this guy is an Orthodox Jew. And if he wasn't here... Maybe the situation would have been different. What do you mean not here? You mean in Israel? No, but here I mean America. Okay, yeah. If but he were over, if he were in Israel, maybe the situation would have been different. Yeah, but unfortunately, yeah, but unfortunately, things like that happened there too. Of course, 
It happens everywhere. Yeah. Because even we in live Australia. in a fallen world. Yeah. No so, so what's interesting is Orthodox Jew, there's a label that someone's an Orthodox <laughs> Jew, they're born to Orthodox Jews, and there are people that actually take it to heart that when they read the Torah it says, you know, Ki im Hashem hepso that in the Torah is my desire, and in it I meditate day and night. That there are people that go through the motions, that wear their sitzes, but not realize it represents the 613 mitzvahs. And when they realize that, it's like, you were so kind to give me this book by Rabbi Nachman that basically talked about humbling ourselves. So a lot of people go through the motions, but they don't realize that it's a way of life, just like Yeshua is a way of life. It's not just reading the New Testament, but it's taken inside and changing the trajectory of our being. So what happened with this gentleman and unfortunately some others, and it's not the majority, it's a small amount, but because it is an aberration and shocking, it makes the news, is that they weren't following Derech Hashem. So he looks, wearing a kippah, probably tzitzitz as well, that it's the manifestation of the affectations of orthodoxy but when it comes to truly following the derech, he's not doing it. Absolutely. So we, we have religious dissonance, like cognitive dissonance that goes on, hypocrisy. Everywhere. Yeah, it happens. I don't know, have it but I don't know necessarily that the community in Israel is so dramatically different than the community so, in New York. But, but it's aberrations. It. I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying that perhaps the circumstances would have been different. That's all. Perhaps the circumstances would be different. Maybe. I, well, I, I kind of think for the headline just a little bit. Where does that line of speculation go, though? Are we not where does it? I'm sorry? <laughs> 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 oh, I'm a rule follower. Good guy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Did you, so did you have your hands over there? I did have my hand over yes, there. Follower? <laughs> <laughs> I put it down for a little bit. Anyway. Like Moses, right? This man represents someone who has left the proper, what orthodoxy really is about, orthodox Judaism. Uh, he is it in form, but he has no other properties he chose of orthodox to Judaism. I was recently reading a blog called failedmessiah.org of this one gentleman who left Chabad, well joined Chabad, became disillusioned with it, Left doesn't even really believe Moses ever really existed. Blah blah blah. We all evolved. Um, just to see like what what caused him to really have this disdain towards Orthodox Judaism, and it's common to a lot of religions. Uh, having worked in the church, someone begins to question the foundation of the religion. And he maybe gets some answers, doesn't like them, pushes back a little bit, but eventually is excommunicated without the goal of restoration. And so he becomes angry and begins firing all of his passion that he had towards the questions against the entity. Sure. So I think if I was able to sit down with an Orthodox Jew and tell him something, it would be to do something about the problem of millions of secular Jews. Because I think that they do a great job of preservation and Chabad aside, reaching the secular Jew is not a strong point nor a focus, at least that, that I've seen. Once they're kind of out of the fold, for the most part, 
there's the there's still family and we'd love for them to come back and we'll receive them on the day they come, but there's no there's no active they can pursue. And that may be getting into like, well, is that evangelism? But I think that it's not necessarily evangelism because it's bringing them back to what they've already been called to do. That's good. It's I like that a lot. In fact, I I encourage anybody to get a copy of the Rebbe's Army. It's an excellent book. It's ex- I mean, it's 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 the Chabad's mission, and and it is a good thing that they're doing. Uh, is everyone here familiar with the Bar Mitzvah Factory Syndrome? Well, what happens is uh, people that belong to reform synagogues or conservative synagogues, in order for their kid to get bar mitzvah, they have to go to Hebrew school. They have to belong to the synagogue. And a lot of times, because of the building and the rabbi and the cantor and so on, and the administrative course, it's expensive. So people feel they have to pay until the kids reach the age of 13. And after that, that's the end of it. And... Uh, that's pretty much the end of Judaism for families and for the kids as well. So whatever they learn in Hebrew school, that in their mind is what Judaism is. But among the Orthodox, it's a way of life. You know, from birth, bar mitzvah, marriage, everything. So that's the big difference. And what happened, as you mentioned, the differences between reform and conservative, absolutely the case. But because they're changing so much, cons- reform is actually leaning more towards the conservative. They're incorporating more and more Hebrew into their services. While conservative, not too long ago, actually started introducing female rabbis. And, and you know, so it's very hard to tell the difference. And the irony of ironies is the conservative movement actually came out of the reform. For something that you talked about, there was a reform get-together, I think, in St. Louis where they were serving non-kosher food. And a group of reform rabbis took umbrage and they created the conservative movement which was you know the idea is to conserve things but the key thing is they don't accept the, the Torah Shabal Peh that you talked about the Talmud they, it's interesting but they can create their own way of doing but once you do that you know it, it's sort of like the alternative lifestyle situation mm-hmm. can alternative lifestyle you know can they be a rabbi now do you officiate weddings and that sort of thing no, so, come up with new yeah so as they do that, even if you don't believe so much in the the faith part, but when it comes to the morality part, the political correctness part, it's it's interesting. So again, when it comes to conservative, it's all this stuff. It's all the political correctness mm-hmm. that's there. Greg, final yeah. comment. Sure, I was just going to bring up Rabbi Danny Lachman's comment. So good when he was asked, "Are you worried about all the Gentiles that are wearing talits and kippahs now?" And he said, I am more worried about the Jews who are not. Amen. I remember that. Good. All right. What well, was, uh, that was pretty good. He's an anti mensch If you want, you can take out your gun and shoot. Yeah. Okay. Too late. Oh, boy. Peppers and pastors. Let's talk about preppers and pastors. Oh, preppers. What's a prepper? What's a prepper? Oh, you As opposed to a preppy. A jalapeno oh prepper. What's a pastor? Is that like a doomsday? <laughs> <laughs> What's a pastor? What's a prepper? Who can give me a, a good definition? Peter. Someone who preps. preps Very for, good, Peter. For the <laughs> zombie oncoming doom. Oncoming doom. And doom. is there necessarily a understanding or agreement on 
from where that doom Oh will no. The doom is uh, <laughs> the source is contested, but the doom could itself be global is warming. The doom Actually, is uncontested. The doom. Where it comes from. Like, do, you, okay, do you build a bunker? Do you need a chemical suit? Right? I think you could say that. Is this like conspiracy? The preppers are Some consumed <laughs> with constructive fear. Consumed. Constructive. 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 I like that. You know. So they've got well, a fear of and it's causing them to do. Yeah, possibly like irrational that. fear. Possibly irrational. But definitely constructive. Or wealth of destructive fear. Definitely. Okay. Destructive. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what I want to talk about tonight. So, so, oh, oh, yes, is there a biblical character out there that was a preference? So, you know, we're going to get there tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get there tonight. I just thought about Joseph. <laughs> so, so no, everybody's going to want to preference. Uh, have, I am now there was that guy that was worried about the, the long rainstorm. Do you have a built a large drawing room. The ultimate preference. Uh, Joseph was a preference. All right. Long. So, I'm going to try and focus this as best I can so that we get some good and quantitative discussion about this because there's a lot of folks I bump into that are either preppers or they are so anti-prepper that, I mean, it's, it's rude. It's, it's extraordinary. And then there's pastors out there who are teaching that we should be preppers and there's pastors out there teaching just the opposite. So I'd like us to look just at a biblical perspective. So let's do that first. And then we can start with whatever. So, does the Bible present itself as a manual for living or for staying alive? Living. Living. Let me say living. Neither. Three people. Four. False dichotomy. I I would say False dichotomy. Both. Both. It's not either or, it's... Everlasting life. It's both and. Okay. So, a manual for living by this, by these commands, you shall live. Um, But, of course, staying alive is... It's it's, it's, it's important. Okay. So, so the, the Bible then probably doesn't have anything that we could pick on. I think that there's some choices... Outside the Bible, just logically, when a threat is presented, we have we have threats that were portrayed for us in the Bible. We have some in the apocalyptic writings, and we have historical. But I would suggest that there's only four things that you can do when you are presented with the opportunity to obey an authority who commands you to break the Torah. The first one, I think, would be to reluctantly comply. We're going to alliterate this with R's. I did the best I could on the first one. Okay, so we're going to reluctantly comply. And I think the Moranos did that. The Moranos in Spain. What did they do? Wait, did they comply? I thought they were... Well, did they comply? Did they reluctantly comply? What did the Moranos do? Can I answer my... They could have left. They could have left. They decided to stay. And by by staying, how did they do it? Well, what they did was, outwardly, they converted to Catholicism. But inwardly, they practiced their Judaism. Exactly. So they were hidden away. But they didn't have to. They could have left. Well, we're going to get to that. They could respond. Mattathias responded. Amen. We got a big hammer coming. 
Right? Oh, but they didn't have to fight. They could have done the flight. Um, I'm getting to that one. Just give me a moment. There's four. All right. So we can reluctantly comply like the Muranos did. Because, okay, okay, okay. Did the M's match up too? That would be good. So, who else reluctantly complied? Daniel? Think about it. Since we got Mattathias down here, who else reluctantly complied? Daniel. Maccabees. Well, they were the Greek, the 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 the, the, the Greek Jews. The the. I, how about really, how do you eat? I'm really interested. I'm confused. What you mean by reluctantly comply? It sounds. Do you mean just comply? I do. Well, John well, Wick can only hope it's reluctant. Because, mm-hmm. but it was like in Modi, what happened? Somebody reluctantly complied. Yeah, the little priest guy. The little priest guy. Yeah. Oh, he was the so, short guy. He was the short guy. Say it's and, then, and then the. I right. say so Mattathias being real tall, his a spiritual short. stature. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. so why are you calling this guy that fought against the Greeks by a Greek name? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So reluctantly compl- <laughs> complying would be the, the priest who said, "Okay, I don't want to do this, yeah, but yes, I will sacrifice this pig on the altar." Now yeah. Mattathias decides that he doesn't want to do that. He's actually going to respond, and he responded with. Oh, a sword. sword. Took out the priest. Yeah, took out the soldier. But those who are zealous for the Torah, follow me. Okay. The other one is to simply refuse. Anna and her seven sons. The second Magnus. Who knows about that? Go. What do you got? Quick. They're being pressured to eat non-kosher food, yes. and they refuse to do so, and they face martyrdom at the hands. Each seven son, while her mother is watching, is killed because they refuse to comply with this edict. So they didn't reluctantly comply. They did not respond. They simply refused. And they took the punishment. That's right. And the punishment for all seven sons, and then Hannah, was death. And torture first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think. Well, we'll get to. And then finally. As, as Wayne has been trying to get us to realize, <laughs> you can run away. Now, I have a biblical example of Obadiah. Who can read for me? First Kings chapters 18, verses 3 and 4. Can't unlock them. You haven't memorized them? It's the one who took care of the hundred prophets. Thank you, Joshua. This is my son-in-law, by the way. Yes. It doesn't count if you're not reading from the Bible. That's right. <laughs> if you've memorized it, why do you need it the written? Come on. All right, read it to me, buddy. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with challah and wine. Challah and wine. How about that? So, Obadiah actually took a hundred of these guys. And ran away with them, hid them in the caves. Ovadia is one of the original biblical preppers. Because he had the bread and the wine and he had the caves. Way to go, Ovadia. So, so, so where would you put Daniel in this list? Oh, where would you put Daniel? Uh, what? I didn't see him in the four depends on the, It depends on the circumstance. Where would you put you can almost put him in reluctantly comply to a degree in that he found negoti- he negotiated. It wouldn't negotiate. But then, on the other hand, we see refused. There are other times where he absolutely refused. Excellent. But I think I think that's the key with each of these is the circumstances in which they find themselves mm-hmm. because 
And in the case of the Moranos, yes, they could have left, and some of them did, according to some traditions about who was really traveling with Christopher Columbus and who he even was. Um, but that being said, not everyone can leave um, for various reasons. They could be. They, sometimes they're caught off guard, caught unaware. So sometimes our, so their our question today is about preference. Right. So did Daniel have an idea that something was going to be happening? Well, he says that he so. determined in his heart. Well, he determined in his heart that he wouldn't eat the king's food, but by that time, he was already a eunuch. Not a whole lot going on for him. And had been taken captive in a foreign land. So, if Daniel were a prepper, Daniel would be in a cave somewhere with a little butane torch heating up his challah unless on Sunday morning. Unless he's listening to Jeremy Yahoo's saying, hey, those Babylonian guys, you might want to go with them because... God sent them. Yeah, you might be obeying prophecy. I don't think that there was a prophecy that we should obey the Babylonians. I think the prophecy was, you have messed up and the Babylonians are going to no, no, but, no, but Jeremiah does tell some of them, say, if you flee the city now and surrender to the Babylonians, you'll live. I understand that. That's not my point on the prepper thing. No. What's interesting is most of the biblical examples, like even with Joseph and the portions that we've been reading, they it's like one guy. And then he takes care of several, like with Obadiah and taking care of the hundred. Or even Daniel. Yeah, which is really interesting. Or Esther. It's not necessarily like a broad, everybody do this. It's like few people are are designated, as God says about... Okay, so, so what I'm looking for is, I just gave you four options that I saw logically. But now I want you to look in the Bible. Put it in your head right now. Give me an example of someone who knew dude was going to happen and prepped. Noah. I mean, but most of these people will have had direct revelation from God. And if they had direct revelation from God, they were normally told exactly what to do, Just so they didn't Joseph. choose to be preppers. Noah had no choice. Joseph, Joseph, didn't. Joseph didn't have a whole lot of things. He knew his brothers hated him. But did he know the pit was coming? I well, don't think so. Seven, I think it's the seven years of plenty of time. Yeah. Seven years of plenty. Oh, the, the, the dream. Okay. The dream. Okay. So that's good. Of course, again, direct, direct revelation. Direct. Direct. So, yeah. It, 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 you know, it's kind of the the, the frog in the in the right. you know, on the pot and yeah. stove yeah. issue here. You know, when you look at the Holocaust, you know, it's the Jews in Germany left. You know, if you look at the total number of Jews who died in the Holocaust. You know, less than a hundred thousand, which is a lot, but compared to other countries, yeah. it's it's tiny. Less yeah. than a hundred thousand German Jews died. Where, where did they die? They died in the places they thought they were safe. Poland, of all places. But they had Poland, left. Half of the population of Poland was Jewish. Why would they be afraid? Right. And in fact, it's it's those unforeseen circumstances that you see. Uh, you know, running is all fine and well, but you know, the Polish Jews didn't think they had to run. You know, and by the time it was time to run, it was too late. You couldn't run. And in some, in the first 500 years of that millennium, they were demanded to run. Sure. You, you're out of the pool. Jews Get are, out. Jews are good at running. There's no question that that Jews are good at moving on whenever they're not wanted. So I think that I think that that where you have to be considerate of is that there's 
times that uh, we're going to be caught unawares. And those who feel the most safe are usually going to be the ones that don't survive. I would submit to you tonight that if you're caught unawares on anything coming down the pike, then by definition you're not a prepper. Because that's what preppers are. They're looking down the pike and they're going, oh man, we need to prepare for that. That's a prepper. So I'm wondering, is that a biblical response? That's what I'm looking for. Do you have an example? Gregory. I was actually just going to ask you about Moses. Tell me about Moses. Well, just because the he was giving direct relation. Don't you think his sister was a prepper? She put him in a basket. Well, that, mm. there's, I mean, they the boys signed, are going to That's a pretty pure response, actually. You know, if you're going to prepare, that's not long term. <laughs> How long did it get last the in the basket? going to have a bad <laughs> They were slaves. Most of the complaints against Moses were, was ill preparation. There's no water. There's no food. There's no essentials, mm-hmm. things that we need. Right. And what was interesting about that, though, was it was kind of deliberate so that they would be more reliant on God in that and, situation. And Gregor, if we look at the scripture later on that looks back at that period, what do we learn? From the prophets, they were carried on eagles' wings. The rock she went with them. They had water. They had manna. God provided for them. Is that how I should be? When the prepper comes to me and says, aren't you aware that you should be buying gold and digging your big hole? Should my response be, my, you know, head in the clouds, so earthly, so heavenly minded, I'm no earthly good, and to say, I'm confident God will provide for me in my power? Well, I think that the biblical discussion is a bit complicated in that, in that I think Proverbs teaches that the wise man gathers in summertime. Yes. In other words, there's nothing wrong with preparing in advance. I think at the same time, there is also something to be said for the lazy man says there's a lion in the streets. In other words, sometimes prepping can be kind of an excuse to be doing, because that's, you don't want to be doing real stuff. You want to be working on stuff that could happen, might happen. Yeah, I would, I would but, argue that most of the preppers are but, but, pretty hard but if you, if you, if you, well, and, and, yeah, and, I, and I would also but, argue that the Proverbs about the man who prepares during the summer and, and, and is ready for the winter that's normal seasons. Well, that's not a an impending although threat. well actually, but it does talk about um, the different types of creatures and whatnot to prepare in advance. They don't wait till there's a problem. But again, <clears throat> they gather. These are this is a normal course of life. But what I'm trying to get at is, I think that there is a point where the issue of prepping can go way too far. Sure. And I think that when it, when it begins to right. put time, time on time on, you're going to give me your perspective on when the prepping okay, is going go back too to far. The but I want to stay with the Bible no, but, first because I want to get there, right, Joshua. But, but, in but the I Bible, want to know here, do we have any examples? But that's what's particularly odd. If you look at the biblical examples where there's not direct prophecy, I feel like the majority of people, are they just respond when it happens. I want to know if that's true because that's what my head said when I started looking at Jacob it. is a famine. I'm, Let's go I'm, to Egypt. Yeah. We got we'll no food. food. Elkanah. Right? Elkanah. Is a problem? Let's leave Look at, there's look no at, food. There's no bread in the house of bread. Let's leave. There's a famine. Abraham goes to Egypt. Right. Abraham did move Egypt. I get you. Then I get you. Then I get you. We have <laughs> Yeshua's instruction in, oh. in Matthew 24 about preparing. In, wait, in the, wait. Well, I actually put. You said scriptural. I knew somebody would bring it up. I've got two <laughs> passages that are what he got. Here's Mark 13, 32 through 37. But concerning that day or that hour, what is that? That's when he's going to return. 
No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. That sounds like being prepared. I don't know. For you don't know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. This is interesting. This is very interesting to me because the example he gives is a guy who actually leaves his home and it's what he does with the house while he's gone. He's the man. Yeshua's the man here. Yeah. Okay. He's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge. That's us. Each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Hmm. Therefore, stay awake. For you don't know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Now, he was actually quoting from Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 25. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Standing in the holy place. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Oh, so when it happens, like Joshua just said, when it happens, then get out of town. Then let the one who's on... What do you bring with you when you flee to the mountains? Nothing. Okay, you don't, you don't bring the, the water packs, the bio suit. What you have with you, it says don't turn back. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down to take what's in his house. And let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. So you've got to have prep points on the way that you can stop. Yeah, okay. Right. So that's, I'm just giving the prepper. Just in case you got Nehru. That's right. On the, way. the last, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray in flight, may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, which indicates that in the future, from Yeshua, he expects that his apostles and disciples will be keeping the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. This has not been finished from the beginning of the world until now. No one ever will be. And if those days have not been cut short, no human being will be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And the word, Peter? Cut. Cut. cut about, that's right. Cut short. Amputation term. Then if, that, that's right. Something that was intended to be longer. That's right. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the, here's the Messiah. Or there he is. Don't believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray if possible even the elect. And here it is. See... I told you beforehand. Why? Now, why? What are we supposed to do if he's told us beforehand? Are you supposed to prepare? Hang on one second. I think. Were you? Were you? You. Oh, this is scary. Scary stuff. Yes. That was my point. There it is. That Yeshua was the greatest prepper. The whole raison d'etre for the New Testament was preparation. And the preparation was Musar for us. That's what it was. The New Testament is a Musar movement. It's a change of our humbleness to ready ourselves for this. How? That's the question tonight. The first thing is reading it, number one. Doing it, number two. Sharing it with others, number three. Okay. I, 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 I feel like you end up in a place where you're like, it's totally up to interpretation about what you actually do with this. Because practically speaking, you would always wear your jacket. You would never get your wife pregnant. You would make sure that you lived in Florida. Right, so it's never any winter. Never any winter. I, yeah. I mean, you know, it would just get, it would get crazy if okay. you were trying to follow this literal. Okay. And so if, then the question becomes, who is the one that decides when you're adequately prepped? Okay, so, so let me go ahead and put it back to you, Gregory, and say... I'm going to assume that the audience to which he was speaking is the audience 
to which he would speak. Absolutely. So the 70 audience? So I think we're talking about 66. his main disciples. And they are standing around outside the Temple Mount. And wow, look at all these stones. Isn't this an unbelievable building? Holy cow. And he looks at them and says, you've just cursed in Hindi. <laughs> he, he looks at them and says, there's not going to be one stone left on top of another. All hell's going to break loose right here. You have no idea. And by the way, there's some more coming. And we get this paragraph. Why did he tell them ahead of time? To say they will not be led astray. He saved their life. In fact, the believers in Messiah Yeshua were actually ostracized by the Jews because they left as their master had commanded them. And they were not killed. Let me go to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so, did, so did they did they prep or did they just obey? They obeyed. I think they obeyed. But on whose side is this? Yeshua. Yeshua. Jesus. Jude. Um, the whole parable of the bride's groom coming back yes. and all the lights and such that needed to be done. Seven prepped and seven didn't. Yeah. And we see what happens with the other seven. So, so we've got some preparation that they we've did. We've got prepping for pre prepping. Preparing for preparing. a known event. Right. So if you look down the pike and you see, it's pretty obvious, a moron could figure out that, fill in the blank. But they, but they weren't prepping for disaster, the virgins. They were yeah, preparing they were. for a they future were. event. And that's, that's what this is, too. The Mark passage actually only have one, one, one theme. Right. This is a different theme. This has two themes. The first theme is you need to prepare in order to be protected, physically protected in the day of danger. But he also addresses the same thing that he does in Mark. You need to be prepared spiritually, not for some disaster that may be coming, but because with every disaster there's spiritual pitfalls, and with every with, and with every uh, um, good day there's spiritual pitfalls. His 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 discussion in Mark really has nothing to do with days of tribulation. It has to do with the fact, that, and this at the end as well, has to do with the fact that you can be you can be led astray in good prosperous years. It's not just bad things you need to be prepared for. It's for good things you need to prepare for. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea that, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, Tedye, you know, raises his hand and says, you know, if this is a curse, strike me with the curse of wealth. That's right. Is, 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 is funny, but it's actually, you know, very much a caution. And this is one of those things, you know, it's like, you know, we, we can, we can be led astray in any moment uh, by both disaster and by prosperity. And his, com his comments here seem to be with disaster, but it's only the, with regard to the physical disaster that he's addressing. Exactly, which he makes clear will come. And I would say, um, in my mind, that your odds of surviving a disaster are more dependent on how much Torah you're keeping than they are on how much prepping you've done out of the perspective. I, I would argue. We have some of the greatest Torah scholars on the planet. To say that We're decimated. So is Jeremiah. My point, though, is that I'm trying to get at is that when, when we talk about is the Torah for life a way of living or is it for life, it is both because the Torah promises, at least on a community level and to a certain degree on an individual one, 
that you do these things that you may live. I, I don't question that, Joshua, and I don't want to juxtapose studying the Torah with prepping in any way. That is not where I'm going here at all. So I'm not saying we need to, should we prep rather than studying the Torah? That's not it. I'm asking, is there any biblical evidence of the prepper movement that we're seeing in our days now? When Y2K was about to hit, people were buying land and storing up water and all kinds of stuff. Water from falls from the air. You don't need to worry about it. Yeah, the beans. <laughs> and the, the, the beans and the grains and storing it up and all of that. And then Y2K came and I got a swimming pool. As if living just, on beans is better than that. Just, just so you know, for years after the man, folks that prepped for Y2K ended up with a lot of beans. I worked for Y2K and it paid for that swimming pool. And Yeshua had some pretty harsh words for the guy who took his talents and buried, buried it. Buried it. Didn't do anything with it. So is that which point? Is that the which he the was saving and investing, but okay. not in a great way. And then we're also called to leave. A, it says a was to say a righteous man leaves Leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So that's spinning it all because Messiah's coming back is not biblical. Okay. Either. So you would agree with prepping provided you don't use all your money to do it. So what my point is, (laughs) but because of this, there are people that are predisposed towards individuals that will mislead them. There was a case, I think within a year or so ago, one of the Christian (coughs) radio stations, there was an old man, I think he used to be an engineer in his 80s, and he said... And tribulation is going to come, I think it was like in May, and people were quitting their jobs. And it didn't happen. And he said, well, it's going to be October. Yeah. Yeah. And he eventually stepped down from his position. But Jesus warned us about this. And the the sad thing is, there were people, you know, they, they cashed in life insurance, kids' tuition, they sold their houses, and they were totally misled. And as a result, they made one of abandoning Christianity itself. Okay, so, with that in mind, anybody else got anything else to say? Scratching, or is that, you're making a bid, or what are you doing there, buddy? Yeah, no bid, no bid. You sure? find the discussion interesting. No bid. Okay, so it's 8.30. Now, oh, oh, yes. Did, did we say that this was in anticipation of something that was said to happen? Um, I think it's pretty clear that so, prior yeah, to this, he was identifying something that would happen. Something yeah. that would happen. And in... Are in Revelation and in the prophets, we're talking about you know looking at the eschatology and that sort of thing. There is certain things stated that are going to happen. Absolutely, the world will, will experience you know earthquakes, disasters, famine, war, things like war, that. Yeah. So I I wonder why are those things put in that place other than the share to not be shocked, but to be prepared. Well, and even Peter so said always build Peter. Peter wrote. <laughs> Peter wrote and said, "Don't, don't, 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 don't be surprised here. If you're getting persecuted, what are you nuts? Come on, that's gonna happen, right?" Rambod said to um, always expect disillusions that yeah. way. Um, when they do come, you react differently. Or somebody upsets you, you should see that coming. Not them doing it, but just like it being It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And therefore, I should have an answer. Exactly. Somebody's going to cut me off in traffic today. So so how am I I going to react when it happens? (laughs) So, all right. You, Penny. I would rephrase it. Instead of react, I would say how would I respond? Because 
those are two very different things. If you are expecting it, you can respond. Reaction is what what usually you know includes four letter words and and you know just you know, I'm with you. The, 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 I got I, the semantics. I, I think it's I think it's, I'm I'm, I think it's important. So. I I do think of an example in a way of prepping that is discouraged in scripture. Give me an example. Um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, Shlomo Kohelet, uh <laughs> makes it very clear how tragic it is for the man who works and does all, wastes his life trying to save money, to earn money, yeah. to prepare for whatever, and he doesn't have it, he doesn't enjoy his life, and he doesn't pass it on to anyone. And I think that in light of that, you said it's not a choice between studying the Torah or prepping. But that's only if you don't spend too much time prepping. There, like I said before, I think that you, I don't think it's wrong to do some of it, and in some cases it's probably wise. But that's exactly what I want to talk about tonight. Not whether or not we should juxtapose it with but Torah. The so the question I've got got a lot of people going really far. And that's what we're to talk about tonight. How do you balance it? Where do you balance it? Because if you can't come up with an answer for that tonight, then your Torah walk is useless. My balance right now is because because what you have now is I'm walking and I'm studying and living my life and I have blinders on. And the people that talk to me about the fact that I need to prepare are either nuts or they're non-believers. They must be, because I'm walking the way I should walk. And I don't think that that's wise, healthy, or realistic. For Y2K, most people did preparation, most people did Mm -hmm. preparation in the the area of food. Yes, a lot of them. Supplies of some sort. You bet. People are not prepping just that way today. And it's because of a different mindset. And, and what they perceive to be a different threat. That's right. So the question is not to prepare, but to what, what means am I willing to go in order to protect what I've stored up? Or, that, or, to me, or, that is a much... Or to, or to protect because what the, you're commanded to protect. Because what the majority of people that aren't prepping are thinking is, all I need is a gun, and i got all the food that I want. Which so violates the very is, Torah we're talking but that's about. My, but that's exactly my point. You know, the idea of fleeing actually is far more attractive than the idea of having to use lethal force and in order to protect food. And it's also I agree. I agree. and it's also biblical. So we're so, told to flee an awful lot of times. Me, but, but, but my point here is that the, what, so the type of prepping is the thing that that. That as a Torah, as a Torah uh, obedient person, we should be considering is the type of prepping should be on the in the lines of what do I need to do in order to be faithful to God, but at the same time survive. But, and, and right, so t- it's t- not t- easy. Yeah, I, I know. That's Fleeing, why I wanted to talk. Fleeing is a far better plan. It is than so, storing food. So let's. He's the first one that's got one. So I got. It's eight thirty. I got one. one. And what was it? If I'm preparing in order that I can protect the food, I've missed the point. If I'm preparing so that I can protect my family, that's certainly better. Now, obviously now we've got a a different question. How best do I protect my family? Because whose job is it to protect my family? Mine. Well, not your family, but my family. That's right. So, so how am I going to protect my family? 
Now I've got to look at the threat or the perceived threat and decide, well, we need to flee. That seems to be the logical and often biblical response. So if I'm going to flee with small children, how can I do that? Well, you definitely need to be prepped. Somehow i got to do some prep. Even if it's to have a stash partway along wherever I'm going. But where am I going? You away see? from metropolitan areas. <laughs> oh, away from metropolitan areas. areas. You need, okay. You need, you need to have that, that prepped ahead of time, too. Precisely. Monroe. So, Monroe. Gastonia. Gastonia, where nobody really lives. Everybody's got so, a gun in the land. That's right. So, no, live off the tobacco. Or mash, baby. So, only because of my poor prepping did it actually take 40 minutes to get you to this point. <laughs> but you see now this is an that it can't be simply a wacko idea to prepare for what appears to be, depending on whatever vector you want to talk about, an eventuality. Because I would submit to you tonight that if you think the preppers are all nuts, consider this. You don't live in the land that was blessed by God and promised to his people. I know. Maybe you thought it was. But it's not America. That's Israel. Which means it's very probable, if not exceptionally likely, that this country will not exist as you see it today when the Lord returns. Now I expect that you have the belief that you'll be alive when the Lord returns. I don't think America's mentioned in that whole snafu that's going to happen. So something's going to happen here. That's one. Two. I seem to remember reading on the back end of Deuteronomy that one of the blessings was that we would always lend to nations and never be a debtor nation. The United States had that privilege for a great time. It's been a while now. And we're one of the biggest sourpusses out there as far as how much in debt we are. That's two. Sooner or later, the sin, like the previous slide, that is inherent in a fallen world, is going to cause some type of event. It's just a matter of time, I would say, because of sin. Nuclear disaster, chemical disaster, something like that. It's got to happen. The chances are certainly more likely than in 1920. That's three. The Lord will return. And before it happens, there will be a time of great tribulation. That's a given as well. That's at least four right there. So the fact that they're prepping for something... They may be off the reservation as far as what they're prepping for, but the idea of preparation, to some extent, seems to be what the wise man would do. So I leave you tonight with the thought that if the wise man should do some preparation in order to maintain his biblical mandate of protecting his family and caring for and feeding those for whom he is responsible, lest he be an infidel, then there might be something to the proper movement and you now have a burden because you've got to figure out am I going to ignore this 
or am I going to embrace it? Oh my goodness. Or are you going to come up with a balanced response and share it with the rest of us in the next couple of weeks? Because it's not a matter of community consensus, just like most everything else in our community. You just need to decide for you and for your family, what are you going to do? But you got to make some kind of decision, because something's going to happen, whatever it may be. Final so, comment. Yes, just want to add a point. It's very interesting that the concept of community, and I think about what Jesus said, the two most important commandments, that we're supposed to love God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And also love your neighbor as yourself. And the question is, who's my neighbor? We know that story. But Jesus later on said, and I give you another commandment, to love each other the way I have loved you, and that will be a way to really show that you're members of the community. So I think an alternative approach to being a prepper is to think about what Jesus said and to love our neighbor, to demonstrate as followers of Yeshua that instead of fight or flight, that we're embracing them which may be very counterintuitive. It's like martial arts to embrace, to pull forward, catches someone off balance, and also to love each other, that people can see that the way Jesus did. So that may be the big challenge. Are we going to fight? Are we going to hoard? You know, as you mentioned, I agree with you, and I've met people like it. There are others that are preparing, others that are getting arms that are ready to use social Darwinism to do its limbic brain that's taking over. But I think there's something much greater. And I think by doing this, which is the whole idea of Musar, which I think Jesus is preparing us spiritually for, that we'll truly be the sheep rather than be the goats. That's the challenge. I don't disagree. But while we're doing that, I still think that there needs to be some kind of preparation. Other comments? No? Okay. Good comments, man. I want you to think about this because I am definitely going to ask you two or three weeks from now. You're first on the on the lot. I'm going to ask you. Zombie fire already. Yeah. <laughs> Does a thousand can of sardines count? I'm like, yep. yes. whatever, whatever. And, and mouthwash. Whatever. <laughs> and mouthwash. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, it's Adikim. Take leave of each other at the study hall here, and he would say to one another, may you taste the sweetness of the world to come in this life. May you see your children's children come to faith. May your envy with the life of the world to come, and your deeds affect the hope of many generations. May your heart ponder and achieve understanding of Torah. May your mouth speak wisdom to everyone you meet, and may your tongue bring forth song as you praise the Holy One, blessed is He. May you have the self-control to look straight before you. May your eyes be enlightened by the light of Torah, and may your face shine like the brightness of the sky. May your lips utter knowledge, your heart rejoice in righteousness, and your feet run to hear the words of the Ancient of Days. Amen. 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 Thank you, John. Amen.